We are in Romans 8. Romans 8. And I'm very happy to be in Romans 8. What a glorious chapter this is. The Christian life is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We talked about how chapter 6 was primarily about being dead to sin. Chapter 7 was about being dead to the law. Chapter 8 is about the Christian life. And particularly the Christian life empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 30 times in the book of Romans, 20 of which are in chapter 8. So the Holy Spirit is very much um, at work or taught about here at this point in the letter. We have the Holy Spirit as Christians. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. We cannot underestimate the difference that this makes. Promised throughout all of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, was the coming of the Holy Spirit in a unique and different way upon God's people. Jesus himself said, unless I go, unless I leave, I can't send the helper. Meaning, unless I go to the cross and endure through the suffering of paying for sin and and go through the resurrection and redeem a people to myself, the ministry of the Spirit can't happen. And for 2,000 years of church history, it's been witnessed, the work of the Holy Spirit among his people. Uh, Friends, this is where the power of a Christian life comes from. It's sort of like spiritual steroids, all right? It's It's the secret sauce of the Christian life, the jet fuel that empowers us, the nitro. It's the the nuclear power source of how we live out the Christian life for the Lord. The truth of the matter is we cannot be sanctified. We cannot truly love God or truly love our neighbor or obey the law but by the Holy Spirit. Look with me at Romans 8. We're just going to do the first section of Romans 8, verses 1 through 11. We'll take our time going through this chapter. We read this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and study and application of his word this morning. The Christian life is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Here's where we're going, verses 1 through 3. Life in the Spirit is set free from sin and death. 4 through 8, life in the Spirit fulfills the law's righteousness. And then 9 through 11, life in the Spirit leads us to the final resurrection. The final resurrection. So look at those first three verses. Sets us free from sin and death. He starts off with, therefore, now, something radically has changed from what he has previously been describing. Now, there is no condemnation. The Christian life is a radical transformation from a life in the flesh and under the law. There is no judgment, no wrath, no condemnation for those in Christ. He describes here, he says, for the law of the Spirit. Now by that, he's not creating a new law. So this is the law of Moses, and now we're under a different law. He's using it sort of uh, as a point. It's, it's sort of a principle, a, a new power. Actually, some translators translate it as principle. I think the NLT trans- translates it as power. But the idea is that you get a little wordplay. It's not the law of Moses. It's the law of the Spirit. It's a new era, a new time. We are set free in Christ from sin and ultimately even death. Tells us that God does, God did what the law couldn't do. Now, again, he says there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is written by the very finger of God. The law is a good thing. Actually, it's holy, righteous, and good. It's spiritual, but it's weakened by the flesh. It's us. Our flesh, our sinful nature ruins it. We can't obey the law. So, what does God do? God does what the law couldn't do. How so? By the sending of his son. It sends Jesus, it says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. So Jesus is not sinful. He's not born of a sinful nature, but he is in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not meaning he simply appears that way, but he's in full mortal humanity. He's like us in every way, yet without sin, Hebrews tells us. And he comes for sin. Of course, by that, he doesn't mean for some benefit to sin, but for a sin offering to deal with our sin problem. And in doing so, he condemns sin. He gets rid of it. He overcomes it. He destroys it. Jesus' faithful life and ministry, and ultimately death on the cross and resurrection, is what gives us this Christian life that we enjoy as the Holy Spirit comes into us, dwells with us. This is how the Christian life comes about. This is how we can receive the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus has done. I just want to emphasize this and clarify this all the more. Jesus is our substitution. Friends, he comes down into our world and becomes like us in every way. Jesus suffered. He had nerve endings and felt pain just as we do. He felt the weight and the burden in his heart of betrayal, of loneliness when he was abandoned by his disciples, of rejection and insult just like we do. Jesus felt temptation to sin, just like we do. The difference is he never once gave into it in any way, but clearly the Gospels tell us that Jesus was tempted, and Jesus experiences death, just like we do. He fulfills the law of Moses perfectly, the ceremonial, the civil, and the moral. He's the only human being who who ever did (laughs) obey the law perfectly. He's the only human being who ever could 
And he's the only human being who ever will obey the law perfectly. Jesus loved the Father with all of his heart and soul, mind and strength without a single slip. Jesus loved his neighbor truly as himself. In fact, his whole life came as a service to others, to lay down his life for his friends. And ultimately, that's what he does. He dies for us on the cross. And in doing so, he becomes our sin offering. The Lamb of God. The goat of Yom Kippur. He's the one who gives his life in exchange for ours. The great exchange of the gospel is he gets our sin and is punished for it on the cross. We get his righteousness and the reward of eternal life. In doing so, condemns sin, defeats it, so that those who are in Christ Jesus, notice that, it's not for every human being, the Bible does not teach universalism, but for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation, and the Spirit of God begins to apply the work of the gospel and transform us from within. Before we understand the work of the Spirit, we need to understand how it's possible because of what Christ has done. Friends, don't don't live with condemnation. For those who are in Christ, be free of it. Don't don't let the world condemn you. Don't let the world tell you you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you fall short, you're a complete failure, you've messed up. Don't let the world condemn you if God himself hasn't condemned you. Don't let the devil condemn you. We are in a spiritual warfare, right? Right? Don't let the devil get into your thoughts, create doubts in your heart, tempt you back into your sin again and again. Don't let your past condemn you. But now there is no condemnation. A change has occurred if we're in Jesus. Don't let your heart condemn you. First John talks about this, that we are, God is greater than our hearts. Don't let guilt and shame And feelings of unworthiness lead to condemnation. And don't let death condemn you. Yes, we will all die, but it is not the last word. There's another word after that for those in Christ, and that is eternal life. The life in the Spirit has set us free from sin and death. But then four through eight, life in the Spirit fulfills the law's righteousness. Fulfills the law's righteousness. What this results in is the righteous requirements of the law being fulfilled from the heart at this time. Not simply in an exterior obedience, but from the heart. By this, he's not talking about the exchange of the gospel in which we are justified, because he says, by the life in the Spirit. So now we begin in real time, in practice, to begin to truly live as God has called us to live, in order that the righteous requirements of the law would be fulfilled by the Holy Spirit, by a life according to the Spirit. We live, if we live according to the flesh, that's describing the life of an unbeliever, we set our minds on the things of the flesh, the things of this world, either sinful things or just unimportant things, things of this world, personal advancement, money, whatever. He contrasts that with life in the Spirit. Describes, this is how he describes it. The mind set on the flesh leads to death. Hostile to God doesn't submit to him and can't please him. In contrast, the mind set on the Holy Spirit with his work in us is life and peace. Life. Being born again. 
Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And life eternal. Eternal life is said to be not just a quantity, but a quality of life. To enjoy it fully forever. Reconciliation with God. Peace with God. No longer living in fear that God is displeased with us. He's angry at us. That we're heading to damnation or judgment. And a shalom, a peace, an inner peace in the way we live our lives. Spirit leads to life and peace. Friends, if you are a Christian, uh, you, are a, you have become a new residence. <laughs> uh, before sin reigned in your body uh, and its desires reigned. Now, understand, we're still, we're not sinless, of course. Um, the Bible assumes that. In fact, Romans assumes that. Uh, he wouldn't teach us this if we didn't have to learn it, right? So when the Bible says don't conform to the pattern of this world, the assumption is we still at times conform to the pattern of this world. If we never did, he wouldn't tell us don't conform to the pattern of this world. There's an assumption behind this that we are still struggling with sin. We will until the day that we die. But it doesn't have dominion, lordship over us anymore. Sin may dwell in us, but it is not our master. I like the way um, Matthew Henry, the great Puritan commentator, put it. Sin dwelling in a man does not prove it is ruling or having dominion over him. If a man dwells in a city or in a country, still he may not rule there. <laughs> so sin remains as a sort of uh, hanging on uh, you know, into our, uh, our lives, but has no longer has lordship over us. It's a squatter, basically, in our lives. Instead, it is the Holy Spirit who reigns and rules over us, the very presence of God. Of course, we mean spiritually, not physically. If you were to open somebody up, you can't see the Holy Spirit in them. But in a spiritual sense, you have become a temple where God himself dwells. And where God dwells, he transforms. His presence within us changes us. All of a sudden, our, our minds are set not on earthly things, things of the flesh, but on godly things. He gives life, he gives peace. A, a changed life, a transformed life, is evidence that the Holy Spirit is now at work. We don't earn our salvation, of course, as we said, but it reveals something when a life is transformed. You know, we can't see into a person's heart. There are no, you know, sometimes someone will ask me, do you know if there are, so-and-so is a genuine Christian? And the answer is we don't know. We don't have these x-ray glasses that can see, you know, the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. But what we can see is the fruit. Where God dwells, he transforms. The fruit of the Spirit reveals someone now is a dwelling place of the very presence of God. We look for evidence of grace, showing God's presence. The Christian life, as he's describing it, is about sanctification. God loves us even in our sin. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? But he loves us too much to leave us in our sin. I mean, think about this. We could just use the comparison or the illustration of a, of a parent, right? You love your kids even if they've, they're messing up badly. Even if they've run away from home. You love them. But you love them enough to tell them to come home. To tell them they need to change when they're doing destructive behavior. God does this work of sanctification in us. The heart of the law is to love God and to love our neighbor. The spirit 
begins to empower us to do both. But now from within. When somebody comes, when somebody's not a believer, you can kind of tell. You start talking about the Bible and uh, their eyes sort of glaze over, right? Um, I've seen that look many times. They see church as basically a waste of time. Man, I could be doing so much more on Sunday mornings. Why do I want to sit in a church? Prayer is a tedious thing. Ah, we've got to spend this time praying or we've got to do this thing before the meal. Living a, a, a good life sounds boring, right? But then the Spirit of God dwells us and what does he do? He transforms us. He gives us a new desire, a desire to love God. I want to worship now. I want to be in his presence and sing his praises. A new conviction of our sin. I don't want to continue doing that. If I fall into it, I feel guilty. I want to change. I want to get out of that sin now. A desire to read the Bible. A desire to pray. To spend time in the very presence of God. An affection. A true love. Emotional love for God. And a love for our neighbor. All of a sudden, what happens, and I've seen this many times in pastoral ministry, that you see people, all of a sudden their lives begin transformed in this way as well. A desire to be part of a church family. They want to be connected to other Christians. A desire to serve, even if nobody is watching. Even if there's no payment or recognition involved. I want to serve. A desire to give generously. A desire to witness to the gospel witness the gospel to others. Where does that come from? It comes from the very presence of God at work within us. And 9 through 11, life in the spirit leads to the final resurrection. The final resurrection. Uh, Where does this lead? It leads ultimately to the great resurrection at the end of time. We live not in the flesh, but by the spirit, as he says here, if the spirit of God dwells in you, and he mentions here the spirit of Christ. Notice that the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ are used interchangeably, referring to the same person of the Trinity. Uh, No difference whatsoever. And he says specifically, anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ doesn't belong to Christ. So in other words, uh, it happens simultaneous with faith. The moment you truly believe in the Lord Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. There isn't any lapse. There isn't a time period in which you are a Christian who believes in Jesus and don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. If you have the Spirit of Christ, it's because now you belong to him. He describes here that the Christ is in us by his Spirit, and though the body is dead, meaning it's mortal, it's heading to death, because of sin, the Spirit is life. So where is that leading to the ultimate resurrection to come? The same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And what is that going to result in? Ultimately, our mortal bodies being risen by the Spirit. Jesus dwells in us by his Holy Spirit. We see the Spirit of God at work in the Old Testament, undoubtedly. All throughout Israel's history, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon someone to a specific task, David prayed, take not your Holy Spirit from me. But something different happens here in the New Testament in the way the Holy Spirit ministers to us. Actually, the Old Testament prophesied this multiple times. The Old Testament said, this day is coming. Ezekiel said, the day is coming. I will put my spirit in you. Something different. Isaiah 44, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. 
I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Something different coming when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah talks about putting the law in their minds and writing it on our hearts. Joel 2 says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. The ministry of the spirit is coming and it comes in Jesus. Jesus is now bodily at the right hand of the Father, but his spirit is with us to the end of the age. I had somebody ask me after a funeral one time, and I think they saw this as sort of a knockdown argument against the Christian faith. They said, so tell me this, Pastor, is Jesus at the right hand of the Father? Yes. Then how can he be with us? And actually, that's a very easy question to answer. Bodily, in his resurrected body, he is at the right hand of the Father in heaven, but his spirit is everywhere, and ultimately, in a special, unique way, ministering within us as believers. Again, friends, if you are Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. It is not a second blessing that comes later in the progression of the Christian life. Uh, some believe that the Spirit comes and is testified by tongues or a prophecy or something like that. Um, I do, don't have a problem with tongues and things like that, but that isn't sort of a second blessing. The moment we come to know the Lord Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells in us. There is no advanced level of receiving the Spirit later on. And it's the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and will one day raise us as Christians. He's already started. <laughs> he started his ministry and is transforming us from within. And will that, where will that lead ultimately but to the resurrection from the dead? Let me just uh, say too, when you pray and when you witness, friends, ask for the Holy Spirit to be at work. Because the truth is, if he isn't, you and I, we can't save anyone. <laughs> Uh, we don't have the power to transform somebody's eternal destiny. Only God can do that. But we pray and ask that God would be at work in someone's heart, and then we share the good news with them and see what God does. We are celebrating Easter, of course, coming up soon, so what an appropriate passage here during Lent. Uh, in Easter, we celebrate the historical miracle of Jesus Christ who actually physically ra- rose from the dead. The same body that went into the tomb was risen. In fact, the tomb was empty. That's the whole witness of the early uh, women who went to the tomb, is that there was no body in the tomb. He is risen from the dead. We also recognize, though, that we have a spiritual unity with Jesus Christ even now. We talked about that when it comes to baptism. We die and rise in unity with him, and God already begins this transforming work. We can also say that when we die... Our spirit does not cease to be. Our spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but our spirit, our human spirit, goes to be with God, to be apart from the bodies, present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Obviously their bodies were not uh, in paradise. Jesus' body lay in the tomb, and who knows what happened to the thief's body, but together they were in paradise. But Jesus said his resurrection is the first fruits of a greater resurrection. That the day will come when all those who are in Jesus will one day rise from the dead to an immortal, incorruptible body. And friends, that's the ultimate hope of the Christian faith. Yes, there is a sense in which, yes, we look forward to the day we die and go be with Jesus. But to be a disembodied spirit has never been the ultimate hope of the Christian faith. We're heading to a new heavens and a new earth. 
Truth of the matter is, friends, our hope is better than we sometimes think of it. It is not simply to die and leave this body behind. It is to enjoy a resurrection at the end of time. I like what Randy Alcorn writes in his book, Heaven. To be in resurrected bodies on a resurrected earth in resurrected friendships, enjoying a resurrected culture with the resurrected Jesus. Now that will be the ultimate party. Everybody will be who, made God, who God made them to be, and none of us will ever suffer or die again. As a Christian, the day I die will be the best day I've ever lived, but it won't be the best day I ever will live. Resurrection day will be far better. We're heading to a day, ultimately, something even better than simply dying, going to be with Jesus, a resurrection to eternal life with him. The Christian life is empowered by the Holy Spirit. He sets us free from condemnation. He enables us to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, to love God truly and love our neighbor truly, imperfectly, but growing towards that. And then he ends his ministry with the resurrection from the dead. Romans describes the Christian life as a victorious life. To be honest, I think some Christians are too pessimistic. (laughs) They're too defeatist as they look at the Christian life. Uh, Poor me, I'm always going to fail. I'm always going to fall back into the same sins. I always end up in the same place. I'm always going to lose. That's never how it's described in Scripture. It's a spirit-filled life. Sin and death is defeated. The Spirit is right now at work in you, fulfilling the heart of the law to love God and love your neighbor. And his ultimate work is going to head right to the resurrection. In the book, Beholding Beauty, which I had the um, privilege of working on, um, a different chapter, the one on sculpting, describes an illustration of a large chunk of marble in the 1500s that they wanted to turn into some great sculpture, statue. The problem was this particular hunk of marble was filled with what's called taroli. Uh, This is Florence, so the Italian word. Tiroli, which are basically vain-looking imperfections in the marble and cavities. And they're not only ugly, but they also make it so that the piece of marble is not very stable. Well, as every professional uh, artist looked at this hunk of marble, they turned down the job. They looked at the Tiroli, the imperfections, and said, no way, not taking on this job. Finally, one sculptor did decide to take on the commission and try to carve beauty out of this big slab. He worked in secrecy for two years. And he transformed this rejected, flawed, weak, unstable block of marble into the towering and breathtaking masterpiece known as David. In order to do this, Michelangelo needed to use lime mortar to fill in and cover up all the ugly imperfections and cavities to stabilize the structure. He unveiled it in 1504, but before doing that, he spent months polishing its surface to beautify it, to reinforce it with weather-resistant patina. In fact, it was such an incredible work that his biographer, Michelangelo's biographer in the 16th century said, it was the bringing back to life 
of one who was dead. Friends, what did it take to transform us? It took the master artist himself sculpting away at our imperfections and cavities, our weaknesses, bringing it into beauty and bringing life from the dead by his spirit. Would you pray with me? Our gracious Father, thank you so much for the Christian life, the victorious Christian life. We're still sinners. We're going to continue to wrestle, struggle with indwelling sin to the day we die or Christ returns. But it does not have mastery. It does not have lordship anymore. The Spirit of God dwells within us. Help us then, Lord, as your people, to learn to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and grow in loving our neighbor as ourself, knowing that we have the very presence of God and where God dwells, he transforms. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.